Today's episode of Unseen is sponsored by the Magnus Archives. If you're listening to Unseen, chances are you love intricate mysteries and fantastic genre storytelling. So why not try the most successful horror podcast in Europe? The Magnus Archives, produced by our friends at Rusty Quill, is a weekly horror fiction anthology podcast examining what lurks in the archives of the Magnus Institute, an organization dedicated to researching the esoteric and the weird. But of course, the esoteric and the weird have a way of lurking right back. We here at Team Unseen really can't say enough good things about the Magnus Archives. It's been one of the longest-running, innovative, and enduringly scary podcasts out there, with over 160 award-winning episodes to thrill and terrify you. It just released its series finale, so there's no better time to start listening to the entire show for the first, or second, or third time. Check out the Magnus Archives at rustyquill.com slash themagnusarchives. Make your statement. Face your fear. The following episode contains depictions of body horror and fantasy violence. Listener discretion is advised. Long Story Short Productions presents Unseen April Fool's Day Special Now You See Me by Jordan Cobb When it comes to magic, it's all about what you see. Light and shadow. Expectation. Reality. All it takes is a shift in perspective. And you can turn a cheap trick into something extraordinary. Limitless. Real magic. But not on your own, of course. If you want to really pull off a trick, you need more than magic. Every magician needs a partner in crime, another half to the equation. You need, uh, well, someone you're tricking. You need a fool. <laughs> Back then, I thought I was one hell of a magician. Or at least, I could be. I saw it all so clearly. Fall break of my senior year, I was going to pull off one hell of a trick. Unfortunately for me, the universe has a funny sense of humor. There's a famous quote that's attributed to no one, 
Life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. Since no one else has claimed it, I give you permission to attribute it to Verena Morso. That is, to me. <laughs> Gotta take what you want, right? That's how it's always been for me anyway. I'm the only one in my family who can see past the call. Or well, that's not exactly true. There was someone who never questioned that I could make lightning spark out of my fingertips. One person who believed that a vibrant, vivid world was out there, right at the edge of your vision. Who believed in, well, me. The fullest version of me. Back when we were kids, my sister and I used to roam the city in search of adventure. She couldn't see the way that there were people on every street corner who weren't human. She couldn't see the creatures swimming in the East River, or the flicker of wings in the crowds at Times Square. She just thought I had a colorful imagination, a, a penchant for fairy tales. But she never teased me. Never. When I was little, she used to write stories about the worlds I told her about, the ones only I could see. When I got old enough, she encouraged me to write them myself. Then, she graduated high school, skipped college, and got a job right away. She had big plans. I remember the first day I went to visit her. It was so gray. The men all wore cheap gray suits, and the women were talking into clunky plastic headsets. They moved slowly, mechanically, like wooden puppets on half-cut strings, while the paint peeled from the walls. And there was my sister, her eyes glued to her computer screen as she typed on her keyboard. She didn't even seem to notice the flowers on her desk were dying. I tried to shake her out of it, tried to get her to laugh at just one joke, tell me just one story, to smile at me just once, hell, to even look at me for more than a second before turning back to her computer or her phone. But she wouldn't. She brushed me off, told me to grow up. Open your eyes, Reina. This is what life looks like, she snapped. You can't live in a fairy tale. I couldn't help but stare at the goblin sitting two cubicles away from her. <sighs> and I'm the one who needs to open my eyes. And in that moment, it was clear as fairy wings. I don't remember a time I couldn't see past the call, or when magic wasn't a part of my life. I always thought I could straddle that line forever. But this, this was all there was. This was life without magic, and it was empty. My sister had always been the vibrant one. She was our parents' darling, the one with a future, the one with the world at her fingertips. But her world was so normal. It was sad and lifeless and gray. And if I didn't do something, I would end up just like her. It was now or never. My parents had started to not so subtly hint about getting a job and not dying alone in some ditch after graduation. Things at school weren't much better. 
seemed like no one could pass up a chance to remind me just how important it was to make something of myself. And every time I set foot in class, it was the same. Death by a thousand essay prompts. Dear stupid college essay people, please, oh, please accomplishment find something somewhere inside of me as I pour my guts out into the 650 words or less essay that you like enough to let me at your stupid special school. I just couldn't. All I could think of was my sister. Was this what it was going to be like? Day in, day out, waiting and begging, scrapping in the dirt for somebody, anybody to pick me out of a crowd. Just so I could fit in? To sit in a cubicle somewhere watching flowers die? Just for the opportunity to be normal? I didn't want to be normal. I didn't want any of this. So... I threw out my college applications... All of them. Forget normal. Let everyone else waste away in a world of gray. I had a whole world of magic waiting for me. I just had to reach out and take it. There's a castle in Central Park. It sits on a rocky outcrop above a lake. To the unseeing eye, it's an old, abandoned building. Beautiful, but nothing special. There's a rumor that if you go inside, it's been turned into a weather station or something like that. But if you actually know how to look, the castle stretches out like a collection of spiraling stalagmites. The walls are black as night, glittering with pinpricks of shifting light. It's it's as if the constellations were trapped within the stone. The whole place crackles with a natural energy like nothing I've ever felt anywhere else in the city. Electric. It pulls at you, draws you in, dark and sweeping like a black hole. She holds you with the promise of a whole world of secrets inside. (laughs) And she delivers. The place is every bit as mysterious and powerful as the fae sorcerer who lives there. They call him Egon Adiemi, the chimerical king of New York. Some people say he's one of the most powerful, glamorous north of the equator. But the much more interesting rumor is that once a year, in the spring, Egon opens the doors to his castle in search of a new apprentice. He invites the most promising young magic users between the ages of 12 and 17 to surprise him. If I wanted to make a place for myself in the unseen world, then I needed to train with the best. If I wanted any chance of escaping normal, I had to get Egon to notice me. Unfortunately for me, nearly every other magical kid in the city had the exact same idea. When I got there, there must have already been a hundred other people in the chamber. 
there were two, maybe three dozen kids, most of them with their parents or mentors. Everyone was stretching or chanting, preparing incantations and spells. One girl was even singing. Their magic filled the halls, and a lot of them were... really good. Not that I was worried, though. Hey, I might not have the advantage of a magical family, but I trained for four years to earn my place here. It takes a lot of commitment to be flunking history, math, and Spanish. I'd put all that study time into rehearsing for this moment. I might not graduate high school, but I was absolutely going to be Egon's next apprentice. When I first saw Egon, I couldn't help but think that he looked like a bad guy from a fantasy novel. He was tall and muscular, made of sharp angles and shadow. He had the usual pointed ears of the fae, but there was something mischievous about the way he smiled. His skin was dark brown, but his eyes were like living fire, bright gold and constantly moving as he gazed out at the crowd. He just stood there, absently twirling a snake's head cane as his cloak, which was the exact same color as his slicked-back red hair, billowed in an unseen breeze. Everything went quiet. It felt like maybe my ears had stopped working, or maybe all the oxygen had just gone out of the room. But the second Egon appeared, it was as if the rest of the world just fell away. I couldn't help but wonder if I was looking at my future. I had to hope he was looking out at us, wondering if he was looking at his future too. Then, finally, he spoke. Well, shall we begin? One by one, each candidate was called into a chamber at the end of the entry hall. The door would open. A name would be called. The door would shut. And then we would wait. And wait. And wait. Eventually, the door would open again. And the next victim would be called in. It went on for hours. And then... I heard my name. I found myself standing on the stage of an enormous, empty theater. The room smelled like old parchment and faded perfume. Heavy velvet curtains lined the stage, and beyond the golden arches of the footlights, a sea of worn, ornate seats stared back at me. Egon was nowhere in sight. And then a voice, his voice, from right behind me, and yet somehow from every corner of the room I heard him. You're not just going to stand there, are you? Let's see what you can do. (laughs) 
I can't tell you what happened next. I can't tell you what I did, or how. All I remember was a feeling in my chest like I was soaring. It was freedom and fire, light and air. It was magic like I had never done before, and the whole theater glowed. Everything I had, everything I was, in one brief and brilliant, beautiful burst. And for just that instant, I knew who I was. And I was home. In that instant, I could see my whole future. Not just a secret I had to keep to myself. Not just a dream, but a real life. I could be a sorcerer. I could visit parts of the world that didn't show up on any map. I could speak to dragons. I saw a partnership with Egon, and all the adventures he would whisk me away on, and all the lives we could change. It was Technicolor. Possibility in a world full of gray. A servant appeared to lead me into the waiting room. But it was just a matter of time at that point. Any minute now, he would come. I knew any minute Egon would walk out of that room and look out over the crowd, and he would pick me. The minutes passed. Another candidate left the room. Then another. And another. The hours ticked by while we waited. And waited and waited, and then a servant appeared in the entryway. He told us that Egon thanked us all greatly, but that the time had come for us to please vacate the premises. There would be no apprentice selected this year. What? There had to be some mistake. It had to be some kind of trick. I had been good. Better than good. I know I was. I had been brilliant. Was that, was that not good enough? Was that not enough? Was I not? He didn't want me. Worse than that, he couldn't even be bothered to tell me, tell any of us to our face that we just hadn't been good enough, and I... Oh, God. I threw out my college applications for this. In a couple of days' time, my classmates would be getting their acceptance letters, preparing to head off to their bright, sunny, forever futures, and I... I wasn't going to make it out of high school. And I'm already 17, which means this is the end of the line for me. There's only... There's no try again next year. There's only me failing, being left behind, and, and losing everything because I've never been anything like good enough in the scene world. And it, and it looks like the world beyond the call does not... is never going to want me. No. I wasn't going to lose this chance. I wasn't going to let him take it from me. I know it was stupid, 
I know that. Breaking into people's houses is generally frowned upon. Breaking into the magical castle, somebody who could incinerate me just by blinking? Definitely discouraged. Honestly, with all the tricks Egon had up his sleeve, he probably could have been standing right next to me and I never would have noticed. I'm really glad I didn't think of that at the time because I never would have done the whole trespassing thing if I had. But I knew I couldn't just leave. Not when I was so close. All I could think of was if he just met me, he would let me stay. I had to make him face me. The thing about crowds is that it is very easy to get lost in one. And when that crowd is made up of a couple dozen pissed-off sorcery prodigies and their overbearing helicopter parents, yeah, let's just say, accidentally, getting lost on my way to the front door was way easier than it had any right to be. In my defense, it wasn't really breaking and entering. He invited me here. I just didn't leave. Instead, I ducked into a closet, wedging myself in between a stepladder and what looked like a broom with two arms that had been chained to a wall. I don't know how long I was there. Time is sort of meaningless when you're in a closet. I just know I waited until the castle was quiet. The black stone corridors were huge and echoing, and all around me, images of the great and terrible history of the Fae unraveled themselves in tapestries and enormous murals that sprawled across the walls and glittering ceilings. The First Sylvan Kingdom, the rise of Rilgar, the loss of the crown jewels. Every now and then, out of the corner of my eye, I could see the paintings moving the woven tapestry archers pulling back on their bowstrings. Finding Egon's office took longer than I'd like to admit. In my defense, the man lives in a magical castle. But when I did find it, it was breathtaking. Imagine an old-school laboratory. Something you'd see in a bad Frankenstein movie or a made-for-TV Jekyll and Hyde. Bubbling beakers and strange dripping apparati. Huge leather-bound books, parchment scattered everywhere. And one of those flashing glass orbs of electricity. Like a novelty plasma ball had a baby with Nikola Tesla's death ray. Now, imagine that room had no walls. Only space. Spinning and swirling, a multitude of colors and shapes forming and shattering and recoalescing at will all around you. Life inside a kaleidoscope. That's what it was like. I had to reach down and touch the floor to be sure it was even really there. I'd never seen a glamour so complete, so intense. For a moment, it stopped me in my tracks. Once I'd gotten used to it, though, 
I started to take a look around. I needed to find the right spot. Like a really cool place to stand so that when Egon walked in, I could just appear and then I'd confront him. And yes, okay, I know it sounds stupid saying it out loud. Shut up. It looked way cooler in my head. I decided I wanted him to find me sitting on his desk. It was a big, antique wooden thing tucked in a shadowy corner of the room. I was just starting to rehearse my speech when I saw the fish. There was an ornate crystal bubble resting on one of the books at the edge of Egon's desk, like a paperweight. Inside, I could see a beautiful, intricately folded paper fish. But it was moving. It looked like one of those Siamese fighting fish. Beta splendent? But entirely made out of paper. It swam around inside the bubble, just like a real fish. The colors of its paper scales flickering and shifting. Something flashed across the surface of the bubble. Thin lines carved right on the surface. But which hadn't been there a second before. They ran together and formed a single word. Ipsaity. I guess it's not the weirdest name for a fish, but it's not what I would have gone with. I didn't think. I just picked it up. It was so beautiful, so obviously magical that I I just knew it would make the perfect prop. Egon would push open the door and he would see me standing here, tossing the obsidian up and down in its little crystal, and I would say something cool like, looking for something? And that's about as far as that thought went before I fumbled my catch and the stupid fish bubble went spinning out of my hands and smashed against the floor. Ooh, this can't be good. The fish went berserk. I don't know if it'd just been a while since Egon had last walked it, or if he just didn't like the look of my face... But the Ipsadie took to smashing up the office like a T-Rex in a china shop. I did the only thing I could think to do and threw myself under the desk. I could hear it throwing books off the bookshelves and sending the beakers flying into the walls. Potions exploded. Magical artifacts started letting off sparks left and right and all I could think of was... Well, (laughs) there goes my forever future... I was well and truly screwed. No, now I was well and truly screwed. I can't believe I left the door open. How could I be so stupid? There was no way someone didn't hear all that carnage. Which means I was about to be in a world of trouble. The only way I could maybe, maybe avoid being trapped inside a little crystal myself was to at least catch the stupid fish. If I could find a way to stick it back in its bubble, I might just be able to scrape together a case for myself. If Ahab could do it, so could I, right? Yeah, don't answer that. I did have one thing going for me. The obscenity didn't exactly make it hard to follow his trail. I followed it through a set of heavy chestnut doors. 
and I found myself standing on a small marble balcony overlooking an enormous ballroom. What's a magic castle without a gigantic ballroom, right? This one was beautiful, though. Candelabras draped in gossamer spiderwebs drifted unlit and untethered through the air. Rich blue curtains lined floor-to-ceiling windows, and through the crystal panes, I could see New York City under the burning light of the moon. The paper fish was bouncing around one of the candelabras, just out of reach. I hurried down the marble steps, moving out into the ballroom as it swam through the air over my head. I concentrated. Conjuring a binding spell wasn't exactly child's play, but it's what I thought would work. I had it take the form of a net and threw bright sparks across the room as I lifted it into the air. Now, if that stupid fish would just stay still. I missed. The net slapped against the side of the fish, sending him spinning off through the air. But as my magic connected with the Ipsaides, a sort of pulse rippled through the air. Shapes began to spill from the swirling end of the paperfish's tail. They dropped slowly to the ground, smoky and indistinct, like droplets of ink falling through water. Then, slowly, they began to take shape. They looked like dancers, but their bodies flickered through shifting tones of gray as if they'd stepped out of a black-and-white film. They laughed and twirled about, and before I knew what was happening, they were spinning and dancing around me. I was surrounded. A thousand faces spinning all around me, swaying to a dance I didn't know, as a haunting melody filled the air. And there I was, on the outside, looking in, just close enough to touch, but... I felt so... I don't know. It seemed like there were hundreds of them. They filled the ballroom floor, cascading across the room in a flood of velvet and lace. I could still see the Ipsaity darting in and around their legs, spinning itself in circles as the magical beings twirled and bobbed and spun. I tried to follow it. A harpy in a top hat and tail slid suddenly in front of me, blocking the fish from my view. I reached up a hand to push him out of the way, and my fingers slipped through his chest. It was cold. Not frigid like an icy lake, but cool and thick, like pushing my hand through kinetic sand that's been left outside overnight. And I knew I'd messed up put my hand on something I wanted so badly, but wasn't meant to touch. I yanked my hand away and watched in dazed horror as all the color leached from my hand. And look, I know it's not real. These dancers, my hands vanishing before my eyes, the color of my skin melting into the ether... It's a glamour, right? But the thing about illusory magic is that you can know, intellectually, 
Something isn't really there, isn't really happening. But to break it, to shatter its hold, you need to know, down to your bones, in every fiber of your being, what is really real. What is true. Which is really freaking difficult the moment you get scared. Someone else bumped into me from behind, and I turned in time to see the color sliding out of my shoulder, the brown of my skin going slate, then silver, and then an ugly, powdery white before going completely translucent. I tried to push my way out of the crowd, but the press of bodies was too much. I could feel myself being buffeted on all sides, and I screamed as my hands, my legs, my chest all started to disappear. My hands were gone. I tried to call out, but the music was so loud, and the dancers around me didn't even look at me. All these magic users, and not one could sense me near them, couldn't even be bothered to hear me, even as I screamed, Hey! I'm here! I felt the magic flood into my fingertips, and in a rush, I realized that meant I must still have fingertips. I closed my eyes, fought to shut out the noise of the party all around me, tried to ground myself and listen for what was really there. Gotcha, sucker. And I did. Barely. He was swimming right above my head. The binding spell hit the candelabra, which hit the fish, who promptly fell and hit me. And it was like the glamour just popped. Like a soap bubble. The dancers vanished. The ballroom was silent. Empty. I was alone. Well, except for the... hmm? Hey, get back here, you stupid fish! But no sooner had the obscenity wriggled out of my hands than it was already on the move. So I ran after it. Up the stairs, down the hallway... I saw it dart past what looked like a laboratory, a, a library, a game room, through the darkened halls until we reached a beautiful spiraling staircase. My hand on the banister was shaking. My heart raced. I almost wanted to go back home and bury myself in the calc homework I didn't understand. Almost. But I'd come too far not to catch this thing. I couldn't let it go. The fish led me up the winding, unlighted staircase and into one of the castle's towers. Through the thin embrasures, I could see flashes of the city. Lights flickered like candle flames beneath the vivid white eye of the moon. The lake rolled out below us, black and still. I don't know what I was expecting to find in a magician's attic, but an observatory was definitely not on the list. The stone walls of the castle blended seamlessly into the enormous crystalline dome of Egon's observatory. The night sky spilled out above us, and there must have been some sort of spell on the glass, because I could see every single star in the sky, as clear as the lights along Broadway. In there was the Ipsaity, 
He kept banging his head into the glass, furious to find himself caught in yet another fishbowl. Yeah, well, that makes two of us, pal. I had to climb up onto a table to get anywhere near the fish. And let me tell you, it was the last place I wanted to be standing. The table looked like it was one family dinner away from collapsing into a heap. Still, the fish's tail was just out of my reach. So, I figured, at least if I died catching this stupid thing, I died doing the most stupid thing possible. Except no substitutes. <sighs> Nothing for it but to jump. My fingers brushed against the end of the Epsadie's tail, and it tried to shiver away from me, probably just as surprised as I was to have gotten so close. And then the world flipped upside down. And before I could stop myself, I was falling into the sky. Egon's castle was rushing far away. New York became a glittering pinprick. And suddenly... The earth was rolling through space below me. It was no bigger than an orange. I could touch it. Another glamour. I knew that. I I'd seen the Ipsaity cast it. But come on, you've never wanted to hold the earth in the palm of your hand? I closed my hands around the globe, and it was warm and soft like a living thing. It fit into my hand, like I was meant to have it, like it was mine. I took the world with me as I floated onward into outer space. I could feel the possibilities running through me as stars burst against my skin like dandelions, sending sparks of light cascading across my face and chest, Moons caught in my hair, pinning themselves into my curls like pearls, while galaxies danced around my ankles and waist. It was... magic. The most extraordinary magic I'd ever seen, ever felt. I felt extraordinary. Would this be how it felt to be a sorcerer? The globe in my hands began to pulse and shake. I felt... I felt... Paper? Oh, oh, clever boy. I was so distracted, I nearly forgotten. Which meant the Epsaides' illusions were getting stronger. But I wasn't about to let him go. The Ipsadie struggled, wriggling in my grasp. I squeezed, determined not to let it, and then... The illusion shattered, which was understandable given the caster had been distracted. It was currently being held in the death grip of a manic teen. Unfortunately, the glamour broke when I was still mid-leap. Ow! The Ipsaity flew from my grasp. Before I could move, I saw it twist into the air and suddenly it swam straight towards my chest and... threw me. I saw a sort of deep, black space ringed with light open up in the center of me and close again. 
just as the fish swam through. And as it did, I felt my magic die. I felt a thread deep inside of me, unraveling, caught on the fish's tail and drawing itself out of me in one horrible, continuous stream until I was nothing. Empty. The world went gray. And then... I woke up. Someone was shaking my shoulder. I sat up, blinking. And there was my sister. She smiled down at me. Stay sharp, she laughed. It's not five o'clock yet. I realized we were in the middle of her office. I was sitting at a desk inside a gray-walled cubicle. And all around me, I could hear the low drone of quiet conversation and the click, click, click of fingers on keyboards. But that wasn't the strange thing. What was strange was my sister laughing and punching my arm like we were kids again. You're never going to get that promotion snoozing, she said. All I could do is stare. I had no idea what she was talking about. I was still trying to figure out how I'd gotten here. I had been halfway across Manhattan. It felt so... Real. The magic had to be there. I tried to concentrate. To find that missing piece of my heart. A lily sat dying in the vase on my desk. I reached for the magic to make it bloom. I'd done it a thousand times. I used to do it when we played out in the garden as kids. But nothing happened. There was nothing there. My sister laughed again and told me to buck up that your spreadsheets can't be that bad, Ren. I wasn't listening. I was too focused on the flower on the tips of my fingers on willing something, anything to happen. It was a dream. A bad joke. It just had to be. I kept reaching for the magic. And coming up empty. And I thought my heart might shatter. I don't mind telling you that that was around when I full-on lost it. I stared at my hands, breathing hard. On the desk in front of me sat an origami fish folded from a piece of post-it note. It was flat and lifeless. I couldn't breathe. I could hear my sister laughing again. But this time it was different. Sharper. Are you watching closely? She asked. I warned you, you'd have to grow up sometime. When are you going to accept that this is it, Verena? God, you always do this. Dancing around like you're anything special, like you're better than this. As if you deserve anything other than this. I didn't. No one does. So, what on earth makes you think you're owed a dream? I stared at the woman before me, smiling at me through my sister's face. My sister would never say that. My sister would never say that. And suddenly I knew where I was. 
Even though it still looked like I was in a cubicle, I could feel the stone floor of the observatory. I felt cold air blowing in from the park outside. The magical world. My world. Waiting for me. All I needed to do was take it. As if she sensed what I was thinking, the creature wearing my sister's face moved to block my path. A liar like you with a few dime store party tricks does not a magician make. You really think you have what it takes? It shook its head and sneered down at me. They rejected you. You weren't enough. You throw this away, you'll have nothing. Be nothing. I looked down at the paper fish folded on my desk. If that's really what you think of me, joke's on you, I said. I'll make magic all my own. I turned to the flower on the desk and held up my hand. I thought about everything I'd been through that night. Everything I felt and done and been and seen. I thought about the flower and I reached out and the lily burst into bloom. I was back on the observatory floor. For real this time. The little paper fish quiet in my hands. I'd done it. i caught the obsidian. <laughs> I had all of two seconds to think I was in the clear. When... Egon stood leaning against the desk in a shadowed corner of the room, smiling a wily, disbelieving smile. He pushed himself up, watching me. Well, he said, tilting his head to one side, aren't we impressive? It is at this point when I probably should have started to beg for my life. At least I could have tried to find a coherent way to explain myself point out that this was really all that stupid fish's fault. Instead, what came out of my mouth was, you said you weren't going to pick an apprentice. He laughed, actually laughed in my face. The fae looked me right in the eyes, smug as anything, and said, I never do. Not from the masses, anyway. It's become a bit of a running joke over the last few decades. He must have seen my jaw hit the floor, because then he said, Oh, come now. Don't look so upset. Who do you think I was, Willy Wonka? But I do like seeing what you young folks come up with. What new magic is out there. And you're brimming with it, aren't you? He held out his hand, and I felt the obsidian magically pulled from my grasp. I gaped as it flew into Egon's open palm. As I watched, a bubble of crystal began to form around the little creature completely encasing it in its bowl. I couldn't help myself. I blurted, What's the deal with the fish? But Egon just quirked an eyebrow. Is that what it looked like to you? Interesting. He took a second, offered me another smug grin, then explained. It's a mirror of sorts, he finally said. A window into the self. Or... In more prosaic terms, a powerful glamouring tool. It brings out imagery from a person's interior landscape, so to speak. It can help illuminate someone's path, or torment a person with the darkest corners of their own mind. 
He tilted his head in that curious way of his, musing. It's rare to catch a glimpse through the windows of the soul. So, Verena, what did you see? (sighs) I told him. The dancers, the glittering planets, my sister. A lifetime spent walking this line, strung along the edge of two worlds, unwanted and unable to measure up in either. Egon raised an eyebrow, watching me curiously. And where will you go now? I thought about it, and I could see it all. A thousand roads to the future, all spreading out ahead, all of them leading to me. I shrugged. Anywhere I want to. I couldn't help but smile. Everything's open to me. He was silent then. For a long time, he just stood there, watching me. I waited. But he said nothing. And eventually, he turned away and started walking down the stairs. But without turning to look back at me, he spoke. Anywhere is all well and good, my dear. But some roads require a guide. If you're really going to do this, you've got a lot to learn and a long journey ahead. So? Come on, if you're coming. I do hope you can keep up. I didn't think. Didn't have to. I just told him. I'd be there. And right then is when I realized... I have the funniest feeling the universe is playing a trick on me. (laughs) I thought I saw it all so clear. And it is all about what you see. See, a really good trick. Call it true magic. Call it sleight of hand. Needs two people. A magician... And someone foolish enough to still believe in magic. Somebody willing to see things not so clearly and open their eyes to the truly extraordinary. I'm starting to realize I I was a bigger fool than I thought. I fell for Egon's apprentice trap. I got tricked by a paper fish. I even repeatedly believed... (laughs) Well... In myself. But that's the thing. When it comes to a great magic trick, a good fool believes in anything. This has been Unseen by Long Story Short Productions. Based on an original idea by Gabrielle Urbina, with additional conceptual design work by Sarah Shackett. Today's episode was written by Jordan Cobb and directed by Sarah Shackett, 
with script editing by Gabrielle Urbana and Sarah Shackett. It starred Lisette Alvarez in the role of Verena Morisot. Original music by Alan Rohde and sound design by Zach Valenti. Unseen is produced by Sarah Shackett, Zach Valenti, and Gabrielle Urbina, along with Angel Acevedo, Jen Schneider, and Amy Tanguay. For more information on the Unseen world, please visit unseen.show. Thank you for listening. Why, hello there! Unseen producer Zach Valenti here with a quick ask and a few updates. First things first, if you haven't yet, please make sure to subscribe to and review Unseen wherever you listen to podcasts. It goes a long way to helping us reach more human beings by proving to the machines we're worthy. Second order of business, did you miss the last Unseen merch drop? Well, you're in luck. Now through May 4th, you can snag the latest and greatest official Unseen swag on our website at www.unseen.show. Third, can't get enough of that sweet, sweet original Alan Rohde music? Well, you can get the original Unseen soundtrack at music.unseen.show. And last, but absolutely not least, a huge shout out from all of us here at Long Story Short Productions to everyone who participated in our Share the Magic campaign for Unseen. Sarah, Gabrielle, and I created Unseen to bring a little magic to a world we felt could really use some. And we so appreciate your support in sharing that magic as widely as possible. Congratulations to India, Sarah Kay, Oriel, and Rina. We'll be in touch with you soon about your prizes. While the official Share the Magic campaign is over for now, it's never a bad time to share Unseen with people you love. In fact, you can let that special someone or someones know that there's a message for them at the end of the episode. And here's that message. Sure, I could have just told you I love you, but I mean, that can be awkward. And besides, this way you get an I love you and a fun episode that we can nerd out about. But seriously, thank you for being somebody in my life that matters to me. And thank you for trusting my recommendation and listening all the way to the end. <clears throat> Alrighty, that's all for now. You can follow the show at unseen.show on Twitter and Instagram. That's at unseen.show. As always, thank you for listening. And we'll see you back here in June for our Midsummer Special.